Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by John Elias. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. So this is what we're going to be looking at today, this, this bitterness. And I thought about this week, I was like, hey, you know what? I really am not a bitter guy. I have so many blessings. I'm always praising God because I have so many things. And I'm just so thankful. And this week, Thursday came. And if you saw the prayer request, that was us. Within one hour, we went from total joy to total what is going on. First, we got a phone call from my son. And Hannah miscarried Thursday. That broke our hearts. But within an hour, we were taking my other daughter into the hospital for suicide attempt or suicide thoughts. And I'll tell you what, it just got real rough real quick. And I thought about this as I said, look, I'm studying a sermon on bitterness and I'm trying to help people with it. And here I am, I gotta help myself because let me tell you, I'm getting bitter. It's not going well right now. And I realize what bitterness is, it's, it's a part of resentment that things in life aren't going the way we want. We're, I'm used to things going the way I want them to go, and they were not going that way. And you know what it is like in your life. You know, it might be a, a position in your job you wanted to, to, to have, and it didn't go that way. They gave it to somebody else. Or it could be a, a resentment that uh, you maybe got benched from your team, and you know you're better than the guy they put in. It also could be your marriage, a struggle going on. It's not going well, or maybe failure. And it's just maybe a bitterness as other people have things more or better than you do. One of the big bitterness that can come out is when your health. We talked about it, the mental health and the physical health. If either one of them you don't have, it can make you very bitter because you look around and you see people that seem like it's all good for them. Then there's the death of those close to us. Those that you love and you weren't ready to say goodbye to and they're gone. That's exactly what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles handy, I would like you to be reference the book of Ruth. That's what we're going to be looking at. And the Ruth is a beautiful story. But it's a story about family. And one thing you want to know about family is family has trouble. Family has struggle. And that's one thing I'm going to tell you. We are not immune from this morning ourselves. In chapter 1, our story begins. This family lives in Bethlehem, Judah. It's about 900 B.C. And there was a severe famine in the land that made this family leave their land in Judah for Moab. The father was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. And they had two sons, and the two sons were named Malan and Kilian. They went to the land of Moab. And while they were there, Elimelech dies. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal. You know, yeah, it's natural for the older person to pass away. That's, that's normal. I don't think we can grasp what's going on. You're in a foreign land. The sole provider of Naomi has now passed away. She is now on her own. But thankfully, she has two sons. She's in good shape. The story goes on. The two sons married uh, two Moabite women, the one was named Orpah, and the other one was Ruth. Ten years later, both Malan and Killian, the two sons, die. 
This is everything was taken from Naomi, was taken, her immediate family. Her immediate family is totally gone, and, so, and she is in deep grieving. And I, I can only imagine what she's going through. But she hears that the crops are doing better back home in uh, Judah, back in Bethlehem. So she tells her daughter-in-law, let's go and go back home to Bethlehem. And as they go on their way, remember, they didn't catch a bus, they didn't drive a car, they, they were walking. Well, as they were walking along, I can see them, she turns to her daughter-in-laws and say, look, I have nothing to offer you. I have absolutely nothing to give you. Turn around and go back to your families. Please don't be with me. Uh, in fact, as Ruth chapter 1, 13, she says this, the Lord himself has caused me to suffer. This is a bitter person. This is a down person. I'm going to tell you something there. This tells me one thing about our great God, our great loving God. Because right there, she blames God. And you know what? God doesn't do anything terrible to her. No, he loves her. He wants the best for her. So he hangs in there the whole way for her, even though she's blaming God. I want you to realize something. If something happens in your life and you're upset with God, it's okay to call him out. God's with you there. He loves you. He's with you. Go ahead, tell God, say, God, this hurts. This hurts a lot, and I don't want to deal with this. Bring God in on it. But he keeps showing his unending love for Naomi, as we're going to see. So the girls talk with their mother-in-law. Orpah decides to go back home. And there's a lot of tears. But she goes back home. But Ruth, on the other hand, chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, but Ruth replies... Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. I will go wherever you go and live wherever you live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And I will die where you die and will be buried there. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but the death to separate us. That is real love. You know, Ruth means friend. I don't know if you ever realize that. And I thought about, you know, how many friends do you have on here? You know, you have friends. I remember somebody telling me they had 300-some friends on their, their cell phone account. But you know what? That's the definition of a friend. Your God will be my God. And your people will be my people. And I think if you were honest this morning and you look at all the friends on your account, not too many of them are your, or your friends. In fact, as I'd say, probably none. You might even find yourself a little sad right now saying, you know what, I really don't have a friend like Ruth. That's good. Because guess what? You're at Providence. You're at the place where the friends exist. And you can be welcomed here. And I want you to applaud yourself because you deserve to applaud yourself. Absolutely. This is what I pray that continues to happen, that I can always tell someone, you need a friend, you need a family, you come to Providence. That's where it's at. And I want this church to be full of those friends. Even after that beautiful statement, though, that Ruth gives about, I'm going to be there for you, Naomi's bitterness is still intact. It's probably stronger than ever. When she gets back home, when she finally starts seeing 
familiar territory, the land that she came from. She gets back there. It's been over 10 years at least that she comes back to her home and her friends and, and the people that knew her before come up and say, it's Naomi, she's back. She says, don't you dare call me Naomi. You call me Mara because God has made life bitter. She does a second whammy to God right there. She says, God, you made my life bitter. Number two, I want everybody back in the home church to know it, it's a bitter life right now, and I'm very upset with God. She went away with a husband, two sons, and she now comes home with nothing. Man. There's a lot of loss for those that are still grieving, and that's where we as a church have to be there for them. But we even can't take away the bitterness, but we can do the, what Ruth did. She hung in there with him, and that's what I'm going to call a church to do. I know you ra didn't raise your hand when somebody's bitter. You don't want to be around them, but you know what? That's the people who need you right now, those that are bitter. So please be with them. The scripture goes on. It was barley harvest. Now, I'm going to bring you to my farming roots, folks, because when barley harvest is very simple to me. We raise wheat. We don't mess with barley. It's itchy, Okay. We raise wheat, and that's the first week in July. Barley's about first, second week in June, somewhere in there, depending on when you plant in your crop. I don't know when it was in Israel, but it's probably pretty close to that. So they arrive there in Bethlehem, and Ruth wants to go and glean the fields. Now, I don't know if you know what that is. That's basically when you're as poor as those two widows were, they had nothing. Remember, nothing. They had nothing. They needed something to eat. So they were going to go after the harvesters, and pick up the grain. Now, that's, that's a good thing to do when you go through with our modern combines because we always miss something. There's always something coming down. There, there's something laying somewhere you can get. But I can't imagine going after harvesters that are being paid by the, 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 the pound or by the bushel or by the measure that they were trying to get every bit they could. I can't imagine there was anything even left for, for any gleaner to get. I just can't imagine but Ruth goes to glean the fields, and as she was there, she coincidentally starts gleaning in the field of the man named Boaz. Now, first of all, if you believe in coincidences, you don't know Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't do coincidences. He does things by plan, and he has a great plan for each and every one of us. But as he's there, she's there in the fields, she... Uh, is, is there picking the, 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 the grain up that, she, that she's falling. And uh, what happens is Boaz comes in to check in with his foreman to see how the work's going. He goes, how's the work going? And he goes, who's that girl over there? Now, I'm going to tell you, that question got every one of us husbands married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he saw that girl over there. And the, the neatest thing is, is Ruth had a reputation that preceded her. She was working like crazy to get food for her mother-in-law, whom she loves so dearly. And all the, the foreman could say is that, man, Boaz, you all see her. She does not take a break. She is smoking, man. She is just getting every piece of grain that's going on there. And she has a great work ethic. And I want to tell you something this morning. This is another piece of this scripture that's got to be communicated is the beautiful work ethic love gives you if you really are truly in love with your wife truly in love with your family 
truly in love with your church, you're going to be a worker that can't quit. Ruth was a worker that I guarantee you I would not need to see a job resume to hire. I would hear what that foreman said. I'd say, you put her on the payroll, you put her at the top, put her at the best place of harvest because that's where this lady belongs at this point. She is just that great. I want to tell you something. I'm at the age, I'm going to be 58 next month. And what I found out from all of the friends that are my age and older is they have plans for their retirement. You know, they're going to go on that trip. They're going to go buy this and that and all these other things. And you know what? I started wrestling with that. I don't want to retire. You know what I want to do? I want to work like Ruth. Because I want to build a house. It's the Providence house I want to build. I want to build this church building. I want to see it done. I want to see it happen. And I want to see us work like Ruth to make sure it gets done. And I know we can because I know the love that's in this house. That's the love we got to work with. The neatest thing that happens is Ruth works all day. And again, the thing that keeps going on and it's just so beautiful is Boaz goes, hey, Ruth, come on over here. You can, you can dip your bread in our wine. You can, you can enjoy lunch with us. You, he told the harvesters, he said, start dropping grain right in front of her. Just, you know, they, they, Boaz was taken, man. He said, this, is, this lady's great. So at the end of the day, Ruth takes and beats out all this grain. And here's what she brought home. The scripture says she brought home a half of a bushel of grain. I don't know if you get it. That's an immense amount of grain to bring home. That would probably take care of two widows a month in bread. It's an immense amount. If you were out there gleaning, you'd probably be down here in the, if you'd be lucky to get a bottom full. And that, what happens in this whole story is the bitterness is starting to leave Naomi. Because guess what happened? Naomi's like saying, okay, God, you didn't strike me down the first two times I told you, blamed you for taking away my husbands. You're starting to give me a gift. You're starting to give me something beautiful here. You, you, you gave me all this grain. God is being good to me. And then Ruth starts explaining to him, hey, by the way, Naomi, I was in the field of this guy who's been super kind to me, giving me all this grain and food and everything. His name's Boaz. And I can see Naomi going, he's our family redeemer. Got to remember, Ruth's Ruth's a Moabite. She don't get any of this. No, the family redeemer is something special in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish culture. The family redeemer had the ability to take your ground and care for it, care for the widows, make everything good again, and make sure there's a future for that family. That would have been lost. Man, this is something of extreme value. The bitterness is leaving, and praise God for it. Chapter 3 starts out, Naomi decides it's time to get Ruth married. Oh, yeah. How many of you ladies are one of those in there that, that's been instrumental in getting someone married that you love? How many of you did it? Because I know some of you did it. One of them happened right out here. It was my son, Jimmy and Hannah. That was a setup. And you, anybody who wants to know, that was totally set up. If you ever got a chance to talk to Hannah's sister, she was the instigator. She loved Hannah. 
Yes, they, they, you know what I mean. That, but that's still going on today. Yeah, it's, not a, it's a couple thousand years old, but it works good. I want you to know that. <laughs> so he, she, this is beautiful. She goes and says, okay, Ruth, here's what you got to do. First of all, you got to bathe. You've been gathering grain all day. You smell, okay? Get, get cleaned up. Put on some perfume. She perfumes herself and put on your nicest clothes. You know what I mean by the nicest ones, the ones that's going to make Boaz go, oh, my. Yeah, those are the ones. So they go to this place at night, and uh, she tells him that when he falls asleep, all you young girls, keep your ears closed right now. You're not allowed to hear this. She says to lay down at his, sleep, at his feet at night while he's sleeping. So, you know, I'm, I'm not recommending that, but it seems to be this was what was supposed to be done in that day to make Ruth's intentions known about wanting to be married. So Ruth chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says this. This is Boaz. He wakes up in the middle of the night and finds out it's Ruth. And he goes, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing me more family loyalty now than ever by not running after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows you are an honorable woman. Boaz was so excited. He couldn't wait to marry this woman, Ruth. He wanted her as his wife. And I want you to understand something. The whole book of Ruth is a representation of Jesus Christ and us. I want you to get that. Boaz is Jesus, and Ruth is us. We had nothing to offer Jesus. Neither did Ruth. But Boaz is like, man, I want her. I want you to know. I, it hit me for the first time as I looked at this scripture the, the past couple of weeks. Jesus is the same way with us. When we said, Lord, we love you, and we want you to be our redeemer. When we asked him to be our redeemer, this is Jesus' response. Do you get this? This is his emotion. All right, I'm excited. You're, you're going to be mine. I want you so much. I want you so bad. Man, what a love. Ruth, there's one problem. There is another family redeemer that's closer than me. And he actually is first in line to get the, the land and you. So Boaz goes into town that day and he, he, he calls 10 other men in to do this land family deal, I'll call it. And while he's there, they, he brings all these men together and they, they start discussing it. He goes, you know about Ruth and Naomi. I would like to redeem their land, but I know this person is before me than uh, is closer a family redeemer than I am. So he brings this man up. He says, would you like to redeem this land? And he goes, yeah. I mean, that day land was gold. I mean, this was real estate. It's same deal today. You want real estate. He goes, by the way, you can have the land, but there is one other stipulation. You must marry Ruth, no Moab widow of Malan. Didn't take long for that man to go, uh, that's going to really hurt my estate, and I do not think I can do this. And I want you to realize what happened here is Boaz is the only one who could redeem Ruth. No one else could do it. 
only Boaz. And I want you to understand that's the same thing with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the only one who could redeem us. No other world religion got a chance. They're all saying, ah, we can give you some instructions, but we can't redeem you. Can't do it. It's only through Jesus. Only Jesus can do the redemption. Only him. And the same way applies here. Only Boaz could redeem Ruth. This points us to Jesus. What a beautiful story this is. Ruth has nothing to offer. Do you realize that? We're the same way with Jesus Christ. We have absolutely nothing to offer. What are we going to offer Jesus? Hey, Jesus, uh, you want me? Here I have uh, nothing. Here I have nothing. Again, I have nothing. No. No. What does Boaz do? What does Jesus do? He accepts Ruth as his very own wife. Oh, they get married. That had to be a beautiful ceremony. And God blesses them with this baby boy, a baby boy named Obed. Now, did you ever read the part in the Bible where it says, boring as all get out, where it says, so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so? It about drive you nuts. You're like, why did they do this? Why did they put that in there? Read it sometime real close after you know more scripture, after you know the whole Bible. Because it's spelling out how things were or orchestrated, how everything was designed perfectly, how everything happened just perfectly the way God intended to happen. Because Obed became the grandfather of King David. Do you see how God had to put this together? It was no accident. It was no coincidence. Everything was lined up. Even from Ruth walking into Boaz's field, she was where God had to have her be, and so must you be. And Naomi, chapter 4, verse 14. I want to picture this. I know how Grammy does. She had little Obed in her arms, and I can just see her holding that baby as tight as she can be, and she took care of that baby and cared for him, the scripture says, as if it was her very own child. Man, I'll tell you what, I don't see a bitter Naomi anymore. I see Naomi. Myra's gone. God did not leave her. Yeah, it looked like it, it was some bad time, didn't it? But you know what? God never left her, never forsook her. He had this all in a plan. This was one special baby born in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. Did we hear about Bethlehem? Yeah. Well, wait a minute. There's several generations to come. And there's another baby born in Bethlehem. Another special baby. What is going on here? A special baby born in Bethlehem. His name was Jesus, and he became the absolute true redeemer of us all. Yes. I'll leave you with one scripture. If you haven't been encouraged enough today, is Jeremiah 29:11. You could be better today. I don't know where your situation is. But he says it this way. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a hope and a future. That is what the plan is. I want you to know this is the Lord we love and we serve. 
I want you to take any bitterness you have this day. This day, lay any bitterness you have at the feet of Jesus Christ because he's the only cure you'll ever have. And he's for you, not against you. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to leave now. And we're going to leave in your precious arms. Lord, we have many things on our thoughts and our hearts. There's many hurts. There's many things places where bitterness is trying to creep in but Lord we count on you to take that bitterness away and Lord we know you will we don't know when you'll take the bitterness away but Lord we know you will we don't know how you're going to take the bitterness away but Lord we know you will and we thank you for it we praise you in Jesus holy name Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.